What's up, everybody? Welcome to part three of episode eight. In part one, we heard about Jeff's background and about him founding Penn Station. In part two, we dove into a little bit more detail. I asked him some follow-up questions. And now in part three, we're going to hear about his journey founding and designing his own golf course, as well as any advice he would give as he reflects back on his journey and how he got to where he is today. So let's get right into it. Enjoy the third and final part of episode eight with Jeff Osterfeld. And uh, just kind of as we wrap it up, I did want to touch on Stone Lick because I know, I mean, as you progress through your career, you start to focus on things that are more of a vocation, things that you might enjoy a little bit, regardless of the business aspect of it. So you started a golf course, founded a golf course called Stone Lick. Maybe if you just want to talk a little bit about that, what it is, what that journey was like from a high level. After about 20 years in the business, you know, I I became a golfer, like everybody played on the weekends with my buddies and that same pride thing or whatever it is. It's, uh, you know, like I mentioned, sweeping the floor, I want to do a good job of it. I thought, well, I don't want to do this and suck, frankly, I want to be good at it. So I worked at it and, you know, I reached my limit, like, like everybody else does eventually within 10 or 15 years playing the good game. And I knew I wasn't going to get any better. It played a lot of courses and just there's, I have a pretty big creative side to me and I can't, if I gave you a stick figure, you wouldn't be able to tell it was a woman or a man. You know what I mean? Um, so I have no talent in that regard, but my brain is creative. I'm always thinking of ways to do things. And I paint pictures with my, with my brain, if you will. And I would see all these great golf holes and, you know, play the club I belong to. And the God, I would just put the tee box back there and make this a par five. And I, I not became consumed by it, but I thought a lot about it. So in my thirties, I thought, God, someday it would be so fun loving golf the way I do to design my own course. And then as I got closer to 40, you know, just uh, I was talking to my bride one day and I don't know that she remembers this, but, um, uh, she was like, well, you talk about it. You, you don't know why you don't do it. And I thought, you know, that's the way I've always been. And then I started reading books. I read about a half dozen books and going to golf shows. And, you know, just like the food business and the painting business, I thought, why can't I do it? No, I didn't go to golf school architecture, but I can figure out how to clear, clear trees, buy a piece of property and move mud and put greens in. I freaking love it. So I hired a president, Craig Dunaway, uh, who was a franchisee of mine at the time. He lived down in Louisville and um, was just very impressed with the guy. So I hired him uh, at about 40 um, and about 100 stores with the idea that you can start taking some of the day to day. I'll make you the president. I'll be CEO. And I'm going to take those extra five days in the hour, five hours or 10 hours in the afternoon after 12 o'clock or whatever. And I'm going to go build this golf course. So um, went out and bought property. And as I said, I read a half a dozen architectural books. And honest to God, I, I walked down what is the seventh fairway. I remember it's obviously fully wooded at the time and no idea what I was doing. I went and bought red, a case of red paint, a case of green paint at Home Depot. And then I bought 600 surveyor stakes. And I would walk down the center line of what the fairway was. And I would stand there for hours and just look until I could see a hole. And I'd draw from the middle tees to the turn in the fairway to the center of the green. And then I'd start have the dozer follow me and give me a, you know, 70 or 80 foot swath cut through the woods right there. Then I'd run home at night, at, you know, seven, eight, nine o'clock at night after dinner and start with my graph paper. 
and start sketching out greens and the way the hole shapes. And then I run that back and give it to the bulldozer guy. And we'd talk every hour. And no, 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 that's too far. I would go to the perimeter, the periphery of the hole, and paint the trees red that I wanted out and green that I wanted to stay. You know? So I doubt Pete Dyer, anyone did it that way. But it worked for me. I didn't know. You know? I mean, it seemed to be common sense. I got the first couple of holes done that way. Eventually, I bought blue paint. And when I wanted a lake, I put the stakes around the perimeter of the lake and painted the tops of them blue. And everybody knows that's where a pond goes. I learned to um, look at watershed and decide from an engineering standpoint, working with an engineer, how big the pipe diameters had to be based on the watershed into a lake. How big's the exit pipe? 12 inch pipe, 18, 24. He showed me how he did it. It was no big deal. You know, and I knew I was going to need water. So I drained all four of the lakes and the whole back nine into this irrigation pond, which I put down at the lowest point so I could capture all 100 acres worth of water. So it stayed full so I could irrigate the course and not buy domestic water. I didn't go to school for that. I, you, know, I just, you need to do it. I kind of figured it out. I've read some of the stuff in books. Um, you know, four years. Oh, my God. Labor of love labor of love. And so I was scratching a creative itch doing that, but it was so rewarding to this day. Um, you know, some of the funnest times I've had is a year or two into the business and, you know, doing the Penn station stuff till about lunchtime every day. And then I head up to the golf course and I'd walk through and nobody knows who I am. And I'd walk back into the bar area and sit down and have a sandwich. And I'd listen to people in the table behind me going, oh, my God, how about two? Either is that the dumbest thing in the world to have a tree in the fairway, which I do, or isn't 11 the greatest hole I've ever played or 10 is the best par five I've ever played? How about that lake on 17? And this has got to be the best cheeseburger I've ever had. And how does that not feel good? You know, so I guess I was scratching a creative itch, but. That is really enjoyable. And then, you know, over time, we got we got some accolades and stuff for the quality of the course. Um, we were we were top 10 in 2004. We opened with Golf Digest, obviously the biggest, biggest golf rating magazine. And, um, you know, that that stuff is validation that the ideas you had in your head and all the hard work that you did and this picture that you painted on every hole um means something to a lot of people you know it it, it it pushed their buttons so to speak it's like it's like having a party and you and your wife decide for three months you're going to have a big party you pick the perfect band you had the right hors d'oeuvres the right mix of people and the next day you're laying there going oh my god people just had a blast it wasn't about money I work my ass off, man. I work ridiculous. 80-hour weeks were not uncommon. I know one year when I was designing it, I went out on Christmas. My wife said, you're really going to go out there on Christmas Day. I said, if I do, I will have been here every day this year. And nobody told me to do that. I loved it. So, you know, that's that's passion. You know, that's just, and I was scratching a creative itch and and listening to people like it feels like, the same as having that party and you talk to your buddies next week and they go, man, we just had a blast at your house last weekend. All right. That's cool. That's a lot more hours and a lot more money and a lot more risk. And I had debt and man, you better believe I was nervous. Um, I was on the board at my old club 
and stayed on the board for a couple of years and saved some of the financial statements and stuff just because I wanted to know what the P&L for a golf course looked like. Every once in a while, I go back and look at the projections I made and I just laugh. Partly, you know, it's turned out better than I thought. I wasn't the middle column, but we got now we're closer to the high end, what I thought might happen one day. But just some of the mistakes I made, you know. And I can't help being that way. I'm a perfectionist, I guess. Some of the dumb stuff I did that now seems irrational to me. But when I was 40, playing in the mud every day seemed like the smartest thing in the world. Um, but but too much fun. And that's that's scratching a creative itch. I, I may do it again. Who knows? I know that my friends who are who are big into golf absolutely love the course. I hear great things about it on a consistent basis. And honestly, I heard about it for the first because I'm not very big into golf, but I heard about it for the first time within the past few months. And it was like this whole big occasion that my friends were going to take somebody to go play Stone Lake um, as kind of a celebration. When I scheduled this interview and I saw that you were the founder, I was absolutely amazed. I was really excited to be able to talk about that. I think there's a couple things in there it kind of goes back to what we were talking about before, right? Just being able to have an impact on people and knowing that you actually are creating some sort of meaning, right? When you're sitting there and you're hearing those conversations, it's not about scratching your ego. It's about knowing that other people are being impacted positively by by something that you put blood, sweat, and tears into. No question. And I also just think, I mean, yes, this was something that you did because you wanted to do it, but it was something that still challenged you. And you could have easily looked at it and said, oh, I don't know anything about you know designing a golf course or architecture. I, I don't know how to do that. So I, I can't design a golf course. But instead you had, which I would say is a fixed mindset. Instead you had the growth mindset and you said, okay, well, I don't know how to do it. How can I figure it out? You know, How can we make this happen? And you went out and you learned as you went. And I think that's something that people don't necessarily consciously realize is that as you're going through life, even if you feel like you're an expert in something, you're going to come across challenges that you're not familiar with and you're going to look at them and you're going to, you know, you're going to figure them out or you're going to take them on and you're going to fail. You're going to take those lessons and do it better the next time. And I just think that's such an important lesson, even in something that you did as more of a creative itch rather than something, you know, on a, from a business perspective or to build some great empire. So I think that's such a cool story. Ultimately, um, I mean, I made a lot of mistakes and I, I still have made mistakes in both the restaurant business and the golf business, real estate, I have real estate portfolio too. And, but you can't let those mistakes define you. You know, that's not what it's about. I, I never thought that I made all perfect business decisions. What I did was made enough good decisions and learn from the mistakes I did make that overall, you know, I had financial success. So you can't be afraid of stubbing your toe. That's, you know, in the end, you have to persevere and and uh, make more prudent decisions than you do poor decisions. Well, I really appreciate that. And just two more quick things. And one, I'm curious what you are doing now, what your kind of day-to-day looks like nowadays and what you might have on the on the horizon in the near future? Well, like I said, I'm 61. Uh, the joy of my life now is my grandkids. You know, I still love all my my boys, my homies, if you will. I've had the bulk of my friend group is from, you know, kindergarten and fifth grade and, you know, 50-year-old friends, if you will. So I enjoy that a lot, but all of us are sneaking off with our grandkids and the joy you get from watching your kids grow. So a lot of my social life 
focuses on my kids. Three of them are in town and I see them every week. I work with my son uh, up at the golf course. Uh, my daughter and her husband are opening an RV park in, uh, in Richmond next summer and I'm helping them plan and build that. And so I love that stuff. I, my official title is, you know, CEO with Penn Station. I'm and more than anything now, I don't feel like I even run the golf course anymore. My son does, but but I'm a mentor to him. And we talk daily about conditioning and personnel issues, et cetera, uh, which is great. And I love working with him. Uh, but he runs a club. I don't run the club anymore. He and the general manager do. And um, Penn Station, I'm in there because, you know, I built my office about five minutes down the street. I moved out here to the golf course a couple of years back and I knew I was likely going to. So I put my office 10 years ago, right down the street. Uh, so I drive by all the time. I stop in probably three, four, five days a week. And I keep swearing I'm going to do it once or twice. And they laugh at because I don't. I'm not full-time, 40 hours a week full-time, but I would say I still work about 15 or 20 hours a week, maybe 20 or 25 with Penn Station, whether it's phone, emails, or, or being in the office. Um, I have these other businesses I'm fooling with. And like I said, then I then I spend a lot of time with my grandkids. I, I hope in the next, you know, I want to keep working at least till I'm 70, you know, at least 65 or 70, something like that. I don't know when that time will be. I'm ready to get out of some of the day to day. Um, and I will over the next couple of years, again, learning to delegate and kick back a little bit. I, I bought some property out West and, and want to build a cabin out there and, you know, spend some time out there. And it's easier to do when I give up some of this responsibility. So that's what's down the pike and just trying to enjoy my, uh, my family, my bride, my grandkids. Amazing. I absolutely love to hear that. And I, I think there's tons of lessons in there, but it's stuff that I think we've talked about. I think I kind of want to let that stuff speak for itself. So that's great. So the last thing I'll ask you is just for the audience. And like I said, these are guys and girls who are in high school, college, recently graduated. If you had a piece of advice for them, maybe a couple as they're kind of embarking on their professional and personal journey and they're growing older, what would you say after all the lessons that you've learned, what advice would you give them? Uh, probably two things. One, um, I read this in one of these books I read, I think it was Stephen Covey, um, begin with the end in mind, you know, look at yourself at 40 and 50, 60 years old and decide what you want. Who do you want to be? What do you want to do every day? And then go act upon that when you're 20. Okay, this is the finish line. This is what it looks like. And here's what I'm going to have to do to get there. Number one, whether that's being self-employed and all the ramifications of being self-employed, or you're going to work for somebody else. I want to be president. I want to retire by this time. I want to have an extra home. I want to marry and have kids. Whatever the case may be, set a goal. Begin with the end in mind and then act accordingly. And then, and I have, this is cliche-ish. Uh, but cliches are usually there for a reason, and that is follow your passion. Um, I don't, uh, I had success for me uh, because of the way I define success in terms of drive and self-employment and, you know, being entrepreneurial and being able to create. Those things were important to me, so I went out and did them. I have friends who are every bit is happier or happier than I am, well-adjusted and fine financially, et cetera. But they had a different set of goals and they love what they do. So the guy that loses or girl that loses is in their 30s and 40s and 50s, hating what they do, 
can't wait till they retire and hope to God they have enough money. Just schlep it, if you will. Work your work career from 20 to 60 or 22 to 60 or whatever it is, is way too important. And you spend way too much time to do something you really don't give a damn about. That's nuts. Find your passion. And it doesn't matter if it's being a line worker somewhere, being in management, being entrepreneurial, getting into trains, real estate, golf, food. Who cares? If it motivates you and gets you out of bed every day, then it's the right thing. Now, you've got to factor in financial success in there and the other things that mean a lot to you. Some people are driven on the money side of things and some really aren't. Well, think about all that. Now make a plan, decide where you end up, want to end up, again, with the end in mind, and then go get it. But you're, you're crazy not to follow your passion. The guy who wins is the person that's done with their work career and kind of goes like this and says, okay, I'm done, man, but I had a great time doing it. And I got to scratch a lot of personal itches and have a sense of success because I set goals for myself that I was able to accomplish. But you set your own goals. Maybe it's philanthropy, whatever you want. Um, decide what that is that gets you out of bed every day, excited to go to work, and then do it. I work so many hours in some of those 20s and 30s and 40s, especially when I was building the golf course. And some people are like, man, you're crazy. You got plenty of money. What are you doing? And some of those same people that couldn't grasp the comment that they made to me got up on Monday morning. On Sunday night after dinner, they're rolling their eyes thinking about the alarm clock going off, not me. When I put my head down on the pillow, I was thinking about the newest sandwich I was going to come up with or this twist in the GM agreement or a new store opening. And I, my eyes popped open at four or five. I jumped on my bike, started pedaling and thinking about work and could not wait to get in there. I never, when I was building a golf course, it didn't feel like work to me. If you hate what you do, then you're schlepping a job and I can understand you feeling that way. And I never felt that way. I love my work. I love what I did. So Working hard was fun. So again, follow your passion. I think one thing that comes to mind immediately is I think some people steer away or think that they're not passionate about something because they come across a challenge or something that is frustrating, either in their job or in their life, whatever it might be. And so they turn their back on it. They don't want to face a challenge. And then they look for a greener pasture somewhere else. And then they come across a challenge in that other pasture. And they're like, oh, well, I'm not passionate about this. So they kind of bounce around. I think that's especially true for people closer to my age and maybe my generation as it's less popular to stay with a company for life and more popular nowadays to do one, two, three-year stints at companies and kind of bounce. So I think that's that's one thing I just want to make sure that people understand is you're not necessarily in the wrong job just because you come across a challenge or you come across one aspect of it that you don't like. You know, challenges are a part of any career. Yeah, I would tell you from a guy who has interviewed people that one of the first things we talk about is job hoppers. And there are too many people. It's another part of some of the youth of today is that there's no stick to itness. The problem is never them. It's always the grass being greener on the other side. Well, it was the wrong job. My boss doesn't like me. I shouldn't have gotten into this. Um, I, I'd say stay and kind of find a way to make it work if it's something you like. And it doesn't mean you should have to stay in a job forever. But there's so much job hopping now that one of our first questions after the interview is, um, yeah, I just had a GM candidate the other day. The first three or four questions I asked, how long has it been working? How many jobs? 
And if somebody's been out 11 years and they're on their sixth job, what makes you think they're going to stay? You're going to invest all that time in training them and they're going to stay with you. Something will be wrong. It'll probably be you. It won't be them. And they're going to move on. So, you know, if you're trying to stuff your resume that's something with something that's meaningful, don't be a job hopper. I just roll my eyes. Yeah, there's a book called So Good They Can't Ignore You by a guy named Cal Newport. And that's really what um, ignited that idea in my head of, of passion. And I think immediately to your point, sometimes that passion is on the other side of that challenge or that stick to itness, right? You have to you have to at least invest a worthwhile amount of time, energy, and effort into something to be able to find your passion. You know, you're not just going to know exactly what it is by sitting down and, you know, maybe you are. Some people are lucky enough, I'm sure. But a lot of us are going to have to actually go through a, a difficult time to be able to figure out what we're passionate about. No question. Absolutely. I didn't spend my college years saying, God, I'd love to be in the food business someday. I did a report on the bagel dough and I saw the lines out the door at two in the morning and said, I can do this. So, you know, and then, yeah, it grew on me and I became passionate about food. No question about it. Exactly. That's a perfect example. And I think that's a great way to wrap up. So I know you said your arm had to be twisted to, to take the time out today. I can't tell you how grateful and appreciative that whoever twisted your arm did and that you ended up here with me today. I think uh, I know I got a ton of value out of this. I know a lot of other people are too. So Jeff, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And uh, best of luck in, in any of your future endeavors and any of your other businesses and appreciate your time. You got it, Chris. Good spending time with you.